Hey, Dr. Makono. Yes, Dr. Morelos? Have you ever wondered what goes through the mind of a horror film creator? All the time. Me too. You know, we've had the opportunity to work with a few podcast creators and authors, but this is the first time we've been able to connect with someone working on a feature-length film and all that that entails. And from what I understand, it entails a lot. Yeah, I think that's what makes this collaboration with director Jess Costa so interesting. For the first time, it seems, we're being invited into the whole process of making a horror movie, starting with the inspiration and genesis of the storyline, all the way through the social media fundraising campaign, the production and subsequent filming, and finally the release of the film. Yeah, I think that's what makes this project stand out to me. I can't ever think of a time when I've been invited into the whole process of making a film in quite this way. Jess wants everyone to be a part of this challenging and deeply personal journey with her and other contributors of the film. Yeah, I noticed that right away as well, especially in the interview that you're all about to hear. It made me think about how we can harness the dark side of ourselves in creative ways, and by expressing it, can empower ourselves in the process. And that's the key, right? We all have darkness that we wrestle with, but some are especially skillful with how they use it as a creative strength rather than as something outwardly or inwardly destructive. I agree. Well, should we let the interview speak for itself? Yes, and without further ado, here's the interview with indie film creator and director Jess Costa. And welcome to Psychology After Dark, the podcast where we explore the dark side of the human condition. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Makono and Dr. David Morelos. And David, we are really excited to have writer-director Jess Costa joining us today. Yeah, it's not every day we get to interview a real director of horror movies. Yeah, this is so exciting. So Jess is currently working on the in-production feature-length horror film called Sleep Talking. And as David and I love all things dark, we're absolutely fans of the horror genre. So this is a real honor to have you here with us, Jess. Thank you so much both for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So we wanted to start out, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and and your history with regard to filmmaking. Um, So as you said, my name is Jess Costa. I'm a director, I'm a writer. I do a lot in production design, which is like the set design feel of the film. Um, This is my first feature film, so a feature film being, you know, a 90 minutes to 120 minute film rather than short. Uh, And I got into filmmaking a lot of when I was younger, and it was a lot of the play of it 
those with my best friend when we were 12 years old. So I fell in love for the fun and the whimsy of it. And then I discovered as I got older, filmmaking became a lot of like my cathartic escape for like when I didn't have an idea of like how to word things or how to express how I was feeling, I would put it in images and put it into my movies. So that was a lot of the reason why I got into filmmaking. And I love looking at like the psychological side of it as well, because it has so much heart and just understanding what I'm dealing with and where I'm coming from. And hopefully someone understands how they're feeling through watching those films. Can you give us an overview of the film that you're working on currently? Yeah, of course. So Sleep Talking is a film about a 12-year-old protective sister, Maya, who schemes to solve their family's decade-long mystery, only to discover that her sister's sleep talking may be more sinister than its themes. And you sent us a portion of the script to read. And I have to say, like, as soon as I got into it, I just wanted more. It was really the storyline was very captivating and uh, I can't wait to see what happens in the storyline and and how things kind of wrap up but you know I, I liked what you said about making films as a way to kind of explore your own psychology and also to connect with other people and I, I think that art that's really what art does in all of its forms and and this is definitely, um, you know, a, a great way to connect with people both through writing and through imagery, like you were saying. And, you know, I just kind of wondered because this is a huge undertaking, you know, writing and directing a feature length film, you know, I can only imagine, but I'm, I'm really curious about your creative process and what it's been in writing this screenplay. You know, where did you get some of your inspiration? Yeah, so for me, whenever I start to write, it just comes from like a little bit of an image or like something happens in my life. So for sleep talking, I was sleeping over a friend's house and he started like murmuring in his sleep. And I made a joke to a friend being like, oh, what is he like possessed or something? And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's play off of that. And sometimes I'll just start writing out the images and just let's see what flows. And then I'll go back and look at like, what are the themes that start coming up? Like what is like subconsciously am I starting to pull? So like with sleep talking, one of the first images I had was a young girl who started sleep talking and all of a sudden someone started to pull a sheet out of her mouth and then it cocooned her sister. And I was like, I have no idea where I'm gonna go with this, but this is the heart of this story. And from there, I pulled in a lot of like, oh, well, like wrapping it up in moth cocoons. And I was like, oh, well, with sleep talking, like who, who are you talking to when you sleep talk if it wasn't that fantastical side? And so like, I, I kind of use it like building blocks where I keep asking questions and like, just having a very curious approach with, with my writing thing, like, oh, like what if this happened? And then what about that? And then, you know, you put some blocks up and you're like, okay, that makes no sense. Let's take it away. <laughs> So obviously there's a lot of psychology uh, and that's kind of what fascinated us when we read the, the intro, the beginning part of your script. And so could you talk a little bit more like how psychology comes into play when you're developing the plot or the characters? Yeah, definitely. So to, when I start making characters, I want them to feel as real and genuine as possible. So there's moments where I start looking at a character like Maya, the 12 year old main character and I have an older sister as well. And so a lot of the themes that like and personality traits Maya has is reflected of my sister. 
But then I'm like, okay, but then why does my sister do things like this? What is her thought process? And so then I start kind of diving into one, the thought process of like, okay, like as an older sister, you're going in, you're protective. Okay. You start becoming like Maya takes care of her parents at some point. So there's this like parentification that happens and I'm like, okay. And then, so then what does that effect have on the younger sister who then isn't aware of anything going in their lives? So she's going to be a little bit more whimsical in her own little world, dreamy and really breaking in one, how do those things affect these characters in terms of their lives? And then just to make it seem more organic that they react. And two, then I love research. Like as a production designer, as someone who writes, like the film takes place in 1920 and 1990. So I'm like, okay, let's get into the nuggets of each period. And then also let's get into the nuggets of like, what happens when you start to like parentify your parents or like the mom who loses her sister when she was younger, she went missing. What happens when you lose your sibling when you're 13 and you don't know what happened and you start to not process it and you don't let yourself actually try to understand it until later in life. Like what are the effects on that? And for me, I like to do a little bit of research to understand what would be the natural psychological ramifications of doing that. Yeah, and that was one of the things while I was reading the portion of the script is that the characters really did come to life and I could feel that genuine relational piece. And I I think that that's what's really effective is when you think about, you know, how do people really relate to one another? How do these personality characteristics come into play? And then the interaction of everything. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that really the best screenplay writers or the best writers in general really spend time thinking through those aspects. And I liked what you said about pulling characteristics or traits from the people that you know. Because again, I think that that really makes it more uh, believable. It really brings it to life. And although you use that as an inspiration, there it's not the actual person which i liked what you said about that as well so you know i i would imagine that the psychology and and thinking about the psychology and the relationships is such an important part of developing an effective script and and thinking about how the things that happen you know during the course of the plot impact those specific characters in very unique ways. So you talked about, you know, one of the characters, Lori, lost her sister. She disappeared. Her sister's name was Sarah. And, you know, that was one of the things that we were kind of thinking about when, as we read the script, you know, how does that impact individuals and the family unit when something like that happens? And, you know, one of the thoughts that I had, and and David, you can certainly weigh in on this as well, is just that, you know, as human beings, we have, our brains have a hard time with ambiguity. Anytime that things are kind of in flux or there's no resolution, it can be really difficult for us to kind of process and move forward from. And so it's horrific if a family member dies um, and you know, if they die kind of a, a natural expected death, that's difficult. Um, when somebody is the victim of a, you know, a sudden accident or an act of violence, that's even more difficult for us to process as humans. But I think this idea when someone just disappears and we never find out what happens to them, I think that not having that closure can cause 
so so many difficulties for people and sometimes it's that they just avoid it because it's it's too much it's too hard others i think maybe devote their lives to trying to find out what happened but i think either way it can be difficult to move on from something like that yeah most definitely and for me, like, I came at it from, like, two point of views. Like, one, I did the research side and I was like, oh, how does a mystery happen in the 60s when her sister disappeared? But also, like, for me personally, I lost my dad when I was 14. And so trying to, like, I didn't process that for, like, seven years. Like, it was something I was like, you know, I'm fine. I'm tough. I'm strong. I don't need to process my emotions. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was like, oh, you know what? I, I remember when I went to college and I had to, coming from a small town, not knowing anybody or everyone knowing and I never have to talk about it. And then going to college, I'm like, oh, I need to talk about this. Okay, how do, now that it's coming up more, how do I process this? How do I understand, like my dad, he took his own life and had bipolar depression. So like, oh, I think that God. also is why I deal with understanding psychology a lot and trying to, as a girl who didn't really understand that at all growing up, then like finally processing it seven years later. And I want to do that as like a little partly, as I said, catharsis um, with my screenwriting and with Lori. And also I want to show the fact that it, you don't have to process it. And honestly, it's not always normal to process whether it's a death or a disappearance immediately. And like for Lori in the script, it takes her 34 years before she finally goes back to the town that her sister disappeared in and tries to understand. Yeah, I, w I was going to ask that. So uh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that about your history. Uh, and how did that, does that continue to influence you in, in terms of the art that you create and, and are currently creating today? Yeah, definitely. For me, I I like to be very open and honest and one to help people who understand who maybe it may be in their lives who haven't had someone who's open about talking about it because that was something it wasn't really mentioned or talked about in my life. I like to talk about what happened with my family and with my dad and I bring it into my art as a way to help people understand and have some way to process what they're going through if no one talks about it. My family, they didn't really talk about it as much, which it is what it is, it's part of life. So for me, I'd rather talk about it and put it into my art, one, as a part that's a part of my life. So if I write a family film, which is what this is, then it's obviously gonna come up. And we all have someone, someone or something in our family that challenges us, that people don't talk about, that's kind of the elephant in the room. So I wanna put that on screen and I wanna show the ramifications of not talking about it or not being fully honest and open and asking for help, which is like what Maya does as a 12 year old girl or even Lori, the mom, she doesn't ask for help. She goes out on her own. She's like, nope, I'm gonna figure this out by myself right now. And it has to be this moment or it's never happening. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think that it's interesting to watch how people sort of take these really challenging times in their lives and use that as fuel to sort of empower themselves in different ways to create art the way that you are as a way of dealing with them you know so it's it's really interesting to see the creative process at work at, at, and know that there is this kind of history yeah I, honestly one of my favorite things to do is i go and i buy my favorite movies and it's not even just breaking down the film on like a filmmaker's standpoint but i love the director and the writer interviews like and they'll go and be like 
oh yeah well I grew up with this and like I grew up in these like small little towns or like the film takes place in Glen Falls for me because my uncle has a place up there and like that's just a little nod in love to him and like I love those little easter eggs of someone's life um like I Phoebe Waller-Bridge she wrote Fleabag she wrote Killing Eve and there's little things that you start to see in between both of them of like little jokes she'll make or like in Gilmore Girls and Marvelous is Maisel, the random little nugget she'll throw in is be like, oh yeah, and they were both Russian majors or love to read Russian novels. And like, does that have anything <laughs> to do with the plot? No, but it's because the writer loves Russian novels. So they'll just throw it in there. And so as the viewer, I'm like, oh, I, I see. Oh, I, I love these little links. They mean nothing, but I have a little inside view of you as the writer, where you're coming from when you write this. And I love that. That was sort of a, a little gift from when um, video started coming out on DVDs. It seemed like mm. you always had that sort of extra feature where you could turn on the director commentary or producer's commentary or whatever and get those little interesting tidbits. Yeah, I love that because there's so much that goes into a film and like one showing all the nuggets of like the thought process and where the heart comes from it and like digging into each characters and their backstories and getting to share that is such a gift. Like for me, I, I love sharing every step and that's why like, I'm so fortunate to do like a podcast and pre-production and like do events to bring everyone together on each step of the process to break down the film in weird different ways because We've already got it in the bag. We already know all this stuff, so why not share it and then keep it behind these like weird hidden doors? I think it helps you to connect with your viewers in a, a different way. So like you were saying, when you know people listen to this podcast, they're going to learn something very personal about you that you shared. And, and so they feel connected to you. You know, like you said, you feel like you have this kind of insider knowledge. And I, I do think it makes the film you know, richer in a sense, because you understand that, like the person who wrote this, like had some real life experiences that they're drawing from. Um, so I, I really like that too. I, I think that that's a neat way to connect with people on a different level. As I said, it's, it's also, it's like to give the heart of the film to understand where I am coming from as an artist, because me having that life experience, me even just being a woman and writing a mostly women-led cast, like the, all of those things about me, 100% influence every part of the film and how I go about it um, and bring the team together. I honestly, I don't like when people are like, oh, me and the film are completely separate entities. I'm like, how? <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to do that. My heart is I don't know like how me. anyone could. I mean, really, like, you you are your art. I mean, I, I don't know how people could, could separate that. I would never want to. I honestly, I love it. Like, all, most of my hobbies are relate around film, bringing it in. I'm like, oh, I paint. And I'm like, oh, that goes into art as well. So, like, Yeah, that's so cool. Well, so you were talking a little bit about, um, you know, some shows and some films that you like. Um, but since we're talking about horror today, and your your film's a horror film, I wanted to know, what is your favorite horror film? Yeah, my, my favorite horror film is Scream, um, the 1997 Scream, because it is satirical and witty and so self-aware. And, uh, and it's also like, again, deals with like the personal side of like a girl dealing with the loss of her mother and how that those ramifications play out. And like, what I love about horror is that it's, not just like spooky scary it's also a mystery and there's also trying to like figure out what's behind the door and like you're trying to like scheme around and look and be like oh wait is he over there where is the ghost mask and it's half hilarious and 
spooky all at the same time. I absolutely love that movie, Jess. And so it was funny this morning, you know, we were going to get breakfast and we were talking about this interview and this episode. And I was asking David, you know, like, what's your favorite horror film? And I was trying to think. And I came up with two and Scream was one of mine as well. Yeah. So, you know, I remember number one when that came out, that was like my senior year of high school. And I I know I'm totally dating myself there, but um, but I remember going to see it in the theater and I think I saw it like, you know, three or four times. And by the time, like the third or fourth time that I saw it, people were wearing the Scream mask and yeah. You know, it was like this totally interactive thing and, and people, like, I love the fact that they made fun of horror films in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and like even the the second one for Scream, it starts out like in a theater with them watching the parody version of Scream in Scream 2 and like everyone's wearing masks and like a murder actually happens in that moment, first scene spoiler, uh, because they're like, oh yeah, it's just theatrics, part of the show. And I'm like, Oh, the self-awarity over and over again. I just love it. <laughs> like a self-aware horror movie is like my favorite nugget of it all. There's like, you know, when somebody can poke fun at themselves and yeah. not take themselves so seriously, like I, that really appeals to me as well. So that's really funny that, that we have that in common. That. What was your second one? So my second one, because I was I was trying to think of like a, another horror film that really scared me, but not so much that I disliked it. And um, one of the ones that I, I we watched um, fairly recently, a couple of times now, is Hereditary. That's um, my second favorite one as well. Get wow. out! Get that out! Is- Hello, my namesake with my favorite movies. <laughs> I know that is so cool. Yeah, what do you what do you like about Hereditary? Oh, Hereditary was such an influence for sleep talking, like the intergenerational trauma of it, like the imperfect women, the it's just one just so beautifully shot and horrifying. And like, I'm not going to spoil it at all because who's never seen Hereditary, just go see it now. I Um, have to. Yeah. Yeah. But there's like that big scare moment, like it's like 20 or 30 minutes and you're just like, oh, this is what we're setting up for. Okay, I was not prepared at all, and I'm in it for the ride. <laughs> yeah, that that was one of those films that completely caught me off guard. And I feel like, you know, as a psychologist, you know, who works like with criminal stuff and, you know, all this darkness, it takes a lot to take me off guard. And that movie absolutely did it. And like you said, the way that it was shot, there were some such... Uh, creepy imagery in it. Um, I just, I absolutely loved that movie. I thought it was so well done. So David, what about you? What do you have? Well, I was thinking about what you guys were talking about and I was thinking about, it's always interesting to talk to somebody who's in really into film or, you know, as a filmmaker and a creator because they help me sort of understand and see pieces of it uh, that I didn't originally. And I guess that, that I was thinking about that uh, when you were both talking about the the sort of the poking fun at themselves you know and sort of like being self-aware of this idea that this is a horror film but you know these are all the conventions that horror films use and we're going to openly make fun of them in the film so scream was a lot of fun i think because just at the time when it came out you know in 97 we were of that age where that was sort of like representative of us the ensemble cast that was in that movie too was excellent 
they there were so many good actors and i'll fully admit yeah (laughs) yeah i'll fully admit i had a huge crush on nev campbell back in the 90s there's no question he was like one of my favorites my absolute favorites back then you know but there were a lot of i mean just really talented actors that you know some of which like skeet oldrich who's making a comeback (laughs) these days you know we've been watching him in um uh, riverdale so it's been that's been fun but um, for me, you know, for me, the real creepy ones, the ones that really creep me out usually are like the old school 1970s, real gruesome. And the first one that comes to mind is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one is brutal. Like, I, I remember watching that uh, you know, for the first time a long time ago. And I'm like, wow, they really knew how to make horror flicks or at least wow. that style of horror. You know, in the 1970s, it seems like it was just very macabre and just very gruesome. But I will say that for me, and this is just my own thing, and this is one of the things that we you, that may come out over the course of the the podcast and stuff, is that what really freaks me out though are aliens. And so the best one, you know, the the two best uh, that I like the most are either Fire in the Sky or um, the Fourth Kind. Those have been my probably my two. Yeah, I haven't seen Fire in the Sky, but... Yeah, that's based on a real story, actually. A true story that uh, they talk about quite a bit. It's actually, you know, amongst the the alien uh, uh, theorists, conspiracy theorists and stuff, amongst the people who are into that, that Fire in the Sky story is actually probably the single most well-known experience of uh, uh, um, a close encounter of the third kind or the fourth kind. So it's it's something that is brought up over and over and over again. Uh, happened in Arizona. Fascinating story, but they did a really good job when they dramatized it in the movie, and it's it's pretty creepy. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but that's that's what really gets me. It's so yeah, it's like realistic enough, and it's like based on these true stories, which is why I I do like the like the horror genre that's based in reality because that's what makes it even more horrific. It's like. There could be aliens. There could be a weird seal killer person. There could be a demon in your family. And so, like, like okay, playing off of that sense, I'm like, I'm going to buy in. What's happening? How are we going to defend ourselves as humans? Right. Yeah, I think that, like, if you talk to people, everybody has, like, their one little, like, subcategory of horror that <laughs> really freaks them out. And, like, you know, for David, it's alien abductions. For me, it's possession. Demonic possession freaks me out. Um, so, you know, it, it's just kind of interesting. And, you know, I was thinking as, as we were preparing for this, what is it about the horror genre that draws people to it, either as creators or as consumers? Yeah, I, I know for me, I love, like, I grew up reading, like, scary stories you tell in the dark and goosebumps and all of that. So, like, one, I always loved the creepy mystery gore, but I was actually reading an article that was talking about how horror film is actually, um, like people use horror movies as a controlled, if people have gone through trauma, they love horror movies because they know they're safe, even when watching this horrific thing. And there's that self-awareness while being the viewer being like, I know I'm freaked out, but this is a controlled scenario and a controlled exposure. And at the end of it, I know I get to walk away and be safe after the end of this movie, no matter what happens. Which is what I really love about that. It, I think I just self-awareness over and over again. 
you, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because we're we're going to do another interview actually later on today, up, and that very topic comes up, and it's sort of this idea of, particularly as it comes to true crime, which is often the subject of horror films, and it being used as this sort of exposure type therapy where you can expose yourself to doses of this things that may trigger you and things that may re-traumatize you a little bit but it's still no okay this isn't real you know and this is what is real versus this is what i'm seeing on tv and so it, it is fascinating it's, a, it's an interesting topic to see why people are attracted to the things that they are attracted to particularly when it comes to horror or true crime you know things that are macabre or gruesome or and it's However. also it's the bizarre and it's like it's the normal but a little bit off if you think of like Tim Burton like with Beetlejuice it's like I like that it's a little bit weird and a little bit um almost like dramatized and like a baroque style of like the things in our life or it's just a playful I think like I think that's what I love about horror too is because it can be so playful and fantastical at times as well I love yeah. those elements in yeah, I think that the the fantasy piece is definitely part of it, like for me, and what you were saying about that kind of controlled setting, you know, people mm -hmm. like adrenaline, when yeah. we get to control the conditions under which we experience it, you know, like you said, where we can do it, when we know that we're going to be safe at the end, it's mm -hmm. kind of similar to, you know, amusement park rides, or yeah. going to a haunted house, like, that little adrenaline dump can be really fun in those situations and you also get like you know as you're watching a horror film you get that buildup of tension of anxiety of fear and then mm -hmm. there's that release at the end when everything gets kind of tied up and you feel almost more relaxed than mm -hmm. when you started watching the film and so there is that, I think, release for people um, that is also just, it, it feels good. Like a lot of people will talk about watching horror films as being like a coping mechanism in a way, which yeah. seems kind of, kind of counterintuitive. But if we think about those things, like you said, where we get to kind of control the conditions under which we're experiencing it and we're safe, um, it does make sense. It's part of our human experience to feel fear. And, you know, the other piece is that I think when I'm watching a horror film, I will oftentimes like criticize the characters. Like, you know, why are you running up the stairs, <laughs> running down the stairs, you know, whatever. And it kind of gives us this chance to imagine mm -hmm. like, if I was in that situation, what would I do? And there's something fun about that. I mean, we all hope that we're never like in a situation where Leatherface is chasing us, but there is something fun about the fantasy of that and imagining ourselves in those roles as well, I think. Yeah, it makes us feel safer. You're like, oh, you know what? I'm prepared now. Like, you know, those, um, even those cop shows where you're like, oh yeah, and if someone kidnaps you in the back, you have to punch out the back light of the trunk. I feel like everybody knows that now because of like horror movies and because of like, the true crime shows you're like yeah i'm prepared i know what happens and it's like but statistically will that most likely happen to you eh, probably not and i would not ask for it <laughs> but like i know no. i'm prepared i'm ready to take <laughs> on the world <laughs> yeah and it's so true and actually that's one of the other things that we're talking about later um in this other interview that we're doing is that it gives people like this sense of if i can rehearse like what to mm -hmm. do if a serial killer is after me i feel safer even though, like you said, the odds of that happening to, you know, any one person are minuscule, it's still, there's something about our brains that we like to think about those things. 
I know, and I wonder what is the, is it just like that prepared nature? Is it like a fight or flight kind of thing? Like a, like we prepare for these disasters, even though like, I think something I've had to learn this last year so much is that we can't prepare for everything. We can't like save everyone, fix everything, control everything, which actually was a lot of the heart of this film, sleep talking. Um, learning like, you know what? As much as I love to prepare and I love a true, like uh, what's called, I love a pro con list and I love like, making sure everything I have, like my notes and a pitch deck and everything all together, we can't prepare as much anymore. And I think that was the big lesson I had to learn through this pandemic and then by putting that into my film. And that's definitely, I think, something we've all had to learn. And so that's going to be something that connects all of us. And so I think we're going to see a lot of art coming out of the pandemic with that kind of theme to it. You know, I, I wonder at least if we will. And it, it brings it back full circle to what you were saying earlier, Jessica, about um, having a lack of closure, you know, and a lack of uh, control, having to sit in sort of that area, that space where you are holding tension between these different points and, and having to understand that this is part of life as well, you know, that sometimes there is no resolution to these things. You know, and, and for as much as we would like to believe that we can control situations, you know, something like this happens as what happened in the past year and it completely throws everybody. There really is nothing to be done except just to experience it, you know, to witness it, go through it and just uh, try to keep ourselves together in the process and, and see what comes out of that creatively. 100%. And like, I do love seeing the psychology and like, that's where the safe part of film is. Like, putting people in these like extreme situations and you get to really see who those people are and how they do react in those scary strenuous situations and like lucky enough like when the pandemic hit I was able to be like you know what the film industry isn't open I could finally sit down and write my feature and I like sat down and took a writing class with 10 women who were writing their first feature just for accountability and we wrote them together and instead like but with like Lori in the film she finds a little nugget about her sister's disappearance and she goes AWOL. And like, you know, not the most perfect person, but no one really is. And so it's like, you know what? She was ready to ditch her kids and go upstate. But like, you know what? I need to figure out what happened to my sister now because it's time. I think that one of the things that's come out uh, in the pandemic, like something I think that you, you kind of alluded to, and I think one of the things that I've learned about myself as well is kind of how to move forward how to make the best out of a bad situation and you know you said that you really used that time as being kind of a, a a way to give yourself permission to sit down and work on a project that was really important to you and you know and i think that that's such a beautiful way to cope with things of this nature and we all have experiences in our lives that are out of our control and trying to find a way okay how can we turn this challenge into a gift and, mm -hmm. and, you know, really you used that time to, to create something really wonderful. And, and I just, I, I just, I just love that, that that's, that's a really nice way to approach it. So, um, you know, I thought that we could kind of wrap things up with you telling our listeners a little bit about, you know, when they can expect the release of Sleep Talking and, you know, I know that you guys have some fun plans for doing that. Um, and any other information that you want to share about the film? Yeah, definitely. So we are filming this July. We're still in pre-production, which means we're planning, we're fundraising. We're actually kicking off our crowdfund April 23rd. 
with a elixir mixer cocktail event where virtually we'll teach everyone how to make a cocktail based on the film. It's like a tea-based lavender cocktail. And we're Ooh. also making cocktail versions, so it's gonna be fun. That sounds uh, great. <laughs> I'm honestly really excited. Like this is all my jam and most of the things we do, I'm like, what is something I would wanna do? And I'm like, okay, let's make it. <laughs> yeah. We're kicking off our crowdfund and we're fundraising and then we'll be filming July 13th for a month. Um, we'll be done editing at the end of this year. And then next year, we're actually going to do a drive-in tour of America where we're going to be going to select cities and bringing it to you in a drive-in because I love the nostalgia of that and the the safety of it as well. Like when the pandemic hit, I've always loved drive-ins in general, but it was something that we can do safely and fun and still keep the film alive. That is, I am so looking forward to that. And I, I know that I told you this before, but I really hope that Denver is on that list of cities because oh, I would love to see this in the drive-in. Oh, yeah, me too. Okay. I think I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, it's just gonna be, I love it. Like getting to bring everyone together, getting that energy of like being in a theater. Um, Cause we did a drive-in actually in August for a short film of ours that came out. And just hearing everyone honk their horns together even, feeling that energy is just <laughs> such a gift. So I'm glad that we'll be able to do that next year. Yeah, I think we're all ready to get together and, and be able to enjoy things, you know, in groups again. So that is very mm -hmm. exciting. We're definitely looking forward to that. So, you know, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so much fun talking about sleep talking and just about horror films in general. And we'll have a lot more info about Jess and the film on the discussion page of our website at psychologyafterdark.com. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this special bonus episode. We'll be back soon with some new content. So thank you again, Jess. It was so great to have you. Thank you both. I'm so happy to be here. Good talking to you, Jess. Thank you. The information contained in our podcast, on our webpage, and on our social media pages is for entertainment purposes only. All views expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which we have been, are now, or will be affiliated. The information is not meant to diagnose or treat any mental health condition. If you are experiencing mental health symptoms, we encourage you to contact a mental health provider in your community. If you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. Today's episode was written and hosted by Dr. David Morelos and me, Dr. Jessica McCono. It was edited and produced by Dr. David Morelos. The songs in this episode were Dubstep Slow Motion by Cool Loop and The Arrival by Liskus, both provided by Gemendo. <laughs>